the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. Well, my co-host Larry Dersham and I have some great news to bring you tonight. And I say great news, it is headline-grabbing news, of course, it always is. That's how we pare down what we want to talk about. But it's also great news in terms of the more we hear about some of this pushback to some of the mask mandates, the freer many people feel that we're going to end up freer and safer. Uh, so that's kind of a silver lining way of easing into our first segment, which I will call masked but not silenced. And it has to do with uh, some really pushback that the governor of Florida, what a surprise, right? Uh, the governor of Florida, Florida and 20 other states are suing the federal government over the mask mandate for passengers on public transportation. Now, many people are fed up with a mask mandate, not because they didn't think it was initially necessary or because they wanted to do so during the Omicron spike, but because with numbers down nationwide and actually worldwide, many question the continued need for this type of a rule, especially if you're the only one on a train car or the only one in a terminal. So there are lots of ways that people are just kind of scratching their heads and wondering, is this still necessary. So Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida has teamed up with his attorney general to basically join 20 other states in bringing this lawsuit against the Biden administration, the CDC. Remember, Larry, we've talked about the CDC and questions as to whether they have the authority, given the scope of their organization, in mandating anything. I mean, they can recommend and we hope that they continue to do so. Uh, But this mandate of masks, regardless of vaccination status, mind you, some are basically saying, look, you know, we shouldn't have this anymore. And, you know, one of the things that the governor of Florida has said, and he said this throughout, is, you know, some of these mask mandates, when they're no longer needed, just result in passengers, because here we're talking about public transportation, becoming unruly and violent towards transportation employees who are still being forced to serve as the mask please is this all still necessary yes i don't think it is and it's really funny when you come out of a pandemic if people don't it's not like they say one two three pandemic over and then everybody removes their mask i've just been noticing everywhere i go whether it's home depot uh, any kind of store you can imagine that many people are not wearing their mask anymore and we just went to a restaurant um pretty nice one actually and not even the waiters and waitresses had masks on nobody was wearing masks i didn't see one mask in that restaurant it's down by the waterfront so it's just interesting to see how it's all going and um there have definitely and i feel sorry for these transportation workers that have to enforce these um 
rules because they have to actually be the enforcers that confront these frustrated travelers. And they're kind of caught in the middle. Well, Larry, that's an interesting point, because do they even enforce the rules? You know, you mentioned the no masks at restaurants. I've noticed the same thing, but I was noticing it before the masks were supposed to be off. So I bring that up to to highlight something else that we've talked about throughout the course of the pandemic, that there have been, for better or for worse, some agencies, some types of consumer uh, goods providers, some businesses that have chosen, even though it was still recommended, that have chosen not to enforce it. That, too, has caused some customers to be upset because they're upset because people aren't wearing masks. So these workers are put in the untenable position of having applied for a position as a Walmart greeter and instead being thrust into the position of a mask police enforcer at the very gate, literally the gatekeeper position when people are coming into a store. So as we do see so many restrictions lifted, in fact, almost all of the mask restrictions are lifted. You can choose to wear it if you want, but it's no longer a requirement. Why is it still a requirement on public transportation? I was just wondering, you know, do you think that given, you know, 20 states have now joined in this in this lawsuit, is it going anywhere? Does it have any legs? Or are we going to get to the point that, you know, the, the Biden administration, the CDC is going to decide, you know, we're not really going to renew this restriction anymore anyway. And then the suit becomes moot. Why spend all the money? I'm just curious about the schools. I'm really hoping and praying that in the school setting, these poor kids don't have to wear these silly masks that are really harmful. And it's been shown over and over again as far as their ability to adapt socially and to even learn to, they have to be able to see faces. But just imagine this. You're on an airplane, and if somebody's sitting next to you in a window seat, and they are nibbling or munching on peanuts or pretzels or whatever for the full two and a half hours of the trip, they're doing the slow eat part because they don't want to wear the mask. And then right in the middle uh, seat is a gentleman that, or a woman that wants to read a magazine, and uh, but she has to wear the mask the whole time. And if she doesn't, she's going to get scolded or worse. So that doesn't make sense scientifically for sure. How about this one, Larry? How about you just you're just holding a drink? You don't even have to take a sip because I guess that's why they say actively eating and drinking. But how do you prove it? It's kind of like in the Hallmark movies where they're always drinking hot chocolate out of mugs that are obviously empty. <laughs> I mean, there are just so many you know creative workarounds that people come up with. But, you know, we're poking fun at the issue. But it really begs the question of the more serious question and issue is to whether or not it's necessary. You mentioned the schools. Public transportation has remained sort of the the last area of regulation, and let's call it that because that's what people are pushing back on, of regulation and requiring people to wear masks. But if enforcement becomes so lax to the point that we really don't have any way to enforce it, remember, even during the height of the pandemic, you had businesses saying, we are not willing to jeopardize and compromise the safety of our employees by forcing people to put their masks on. That then allows this sort of vigilante justice that we saw. But Larry, you know, you're out and about a lot. You and your wife enjoy dinners out. You know, you you go to work, you go all sorts of different places. Have you noticed, especially in the area of public transportation, that people just do seem to be a little bit more relaxed and unwilling to make an issue of whether or not people are wearing masks. Oh, I've really noticed that. And I used to carry around a mask in my back pocket. And just, just in, in case. case, yeah, yeah, I didn't want to be, you know, 
scolded by the uh, the employee or whatever, and I was kind of doing what other people are doing. But every time I had a chance to take it off, I would take it off. And I just and what is so interesting too, I think a person, you know, you're a psychologist, you could write a incredible book about the psychology of this uh, mass pandemics and how people react and so forth. It's just a you could do an encyclopedia on we're watching human reactions in real life in motion. It's true. Well, my PhD is actually in theology, but I think you're referring to my psychology today um, column. And you know what, Larry, I think you've just given me my next article, but I know there's something else on your docket for today. Right. I'm calling this uh, this series, And You Shall Know. And it's really taken out of the Bible, John chapter 8, verse 32, where it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, I'm just going with that first couple words, you shall know. And I'm calling today's installment on that. Welcome to dystopia. Dystopia is an imagined world or society in which people lead wretched, dehumanized, and fearful lives. We are... Obama said just uh, not that long ago, we are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. That was back in October 30, 2008. Now, uh, Mr. Obama was a devotee of Saul Alinsky, who penned the work called Rules for Radicals. I actually have that book. In the book, he, uh, Alinsky dedicates that book to Satan. Well, you know, the Bible says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's out of the book of Isaiah. Yet Biden encourages and praises genital reassignment surgery and hormone treatments for minors. He did that this week, Wendy, in a press conference as Child Protective Services harangues the mother who protested to the Spreckles Union School District when she found out that they were secretly grooming her 11-year-old girl to become transgender as parents are targeting as domestic terrorists just because they want to speak out against critical race theory and comprehensive sexuality education at school board meetings as Disney goes woke and publicly vilifies Florida Governor DeSantis for signing into law the parental rights and education bill that protects students in kindergarten through third grade from classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity. Now get this, as the, as the San Diego County Board of Supervisors will be considering on Tuesday, April 26, 2022, a new ordinance that will give men and boys who self-identify as women and girls full access to girls and women's sports, girls and women's locker rooms, toilets and showers, women's prisons, domestic violence shelters. So the right folks, to uh, we're in a full-on cultural civil war here, and it's for you the know, control of the souls of our American people. So we have to stand up, take note. Yeah, you know, um, one thing that I always advise people to do is actually read the pieces of legislation that are at issue. So the Florida bill that you bring up is about, you know, the, the distinction between who teaches my kids, who brings up my child? Is it the school or is it the parents? The parents say it's me, <laughs> right? The mom says uh, your dad and I are going to tell it, tell you about sexual issues before you're in the third grade. So, you know, it's been billed as um, very discriminatory in nature, but reading through it, I would just suggest that people do that first and then make their own decisions regarding what it's really about. And the fact that it's called the parental rights bill probably tells you sort of a clue as to what's in it. 
But um, again, let's try to lighten it up a little bit as we move to our second half. We're going to take a short commercial break, but don't touch that dial. When we return, you're going to meet another very fascinating guest. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We will be back in a flash. cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. Uh, my co-host, Larry Dersham, and I always bring you fascinating guests, and tonight is no exception. Larry, who do we have on the line? Sure, Wendy. June Cutter is running for election for the California State Assembly to represent District 76 and will be on the ballot for the primary election that will be held in a few weeks on June 7th. June is a native Californian. She earned her bachelor's degree in political science from UC Irvine and her law degree and master's degree in business taxation from USC at the young age of 23. That's amazing. Her career experience includes both working as an attorney and a small business owner. Welcome to the program, June. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on the show. June, the most interesting thing, I mean, there's lots of interesting things about you, but one of them was what Larry just mentioned, that somehow, and this is incredible, while your peers were at the beach going, dancing, enjoying being super young, you were in school with earning a law degree, a master's degree in business taxation, and you were done at the age of 23. I mean, talk about a a different career path. Uh, I can't decide whether I want to hear more about that or the fact that somehow you work as a lawyer and a small business owner and are raising two children. Do I have that right? How do you do it all? (laughs) Well, when you want something done, you ask a busy person. And I've always been a busy person. (laughs) I remember my law school roommate. We would um, share an apartment, and she would sit on the couch and watch TV, and um, she would say, are you ever going to sit down? Do you ever lounge? And I kind of got this reputation as the busy person who never would lounge. Wow. Uh, June, you were running against the Democrat, Brian Manshine. Now, if you win this election in June, I think it's on June 7th, will you go to Sacramento right away or do you still need to go through a runoff election on November 8th? Just so the people know uh, what's up next. Yes, um, there will be a runoff um, in a state race. Even if you get over half the vote in June, you still have to go to a runoff um, top two in November. You know, um, one of the things that we talk about most here is, you know, sort of the gas prices, the inflation, the supply chain. They're just there's so many. And you know what's interesting, June, is, you know, I, I travel a lot um, and I we don't have the same issues with the same intensity in different places. Why do you think we have as much as we do in terms of gas, inflation, supply chain, you know, empty shelves at Walmart? I mean, I, I don't ever remember that, you know, five years ago. Why California? Why do we have so many issues here? 
Well, California has the highest income tax and the highest corporate tax rate in the country, so we're already starting off at a disadvantage economically. But um, gas prices are especially high in California because we're an energy island. Because of our lack of infrastructure and the policies and regulations that our Democrat-majority government has imposed upon our state, we cannot get gas from other states. So if there's oil produced, um, let's say in Wyoming, maybe other states can get to it through a pipeline or some other form of infrastructure. It will never come to California. And our regulations are so high here that we only produce about 25 percent of the gas and oil that we use within our state. The regulations have made it completely impossible. And there are permits sitting on the governor's desk to bring more oil from the Central Valley that he is refusing to sign. So we bring 75% of our oil and gas from overseas. It's the dirtiest oil you can find as opposed to producing the cleanest oil possible here stateside. But because we are an energy island, our gas prices are already high. And because of other regulations such as CEQA, our gas prices become even higher. And then, of course, we add on the 51-cent California state gas tax. Wow. June, what would you say? I think you've probably touched on some of them already. Are the key messages of your campaign so people know? Um, The key message of my campaign is to have an opportunity for California families, hardworking Californians to prosper and build their American dream, which has become so out of reach for so many middle-class and working-class families here in our state. I want to make sure we bring those opportunities back. And I also am really trying to emphasize the fact that our legislators need to be servant leaders. It's not a job. It's not a career trajectory. It is an act of service to represent your community in the legislature. You know, servant leadership is something that we talk a lot about in Christianity. And I know that that concept, you know, really transcends all faiths. Um, Everybody believes that you should have people that have humility and are able to temper power with that, you know, that selflessness that you describe. Um, How does that help good government? You know, that I know you're probably thinking, yeah, do you have an hour or two and I can break it down? I I agree with you. There's in so many different ways. But maybe some how are some of the top ways you see sort of within your campaign? How does servant leadership, how is that really going to help us with some of the issues we face here in California, which you did a great job of rattling off? We had more than I thought we did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it really breaks down to why our government is so corrupt right now and why things are going so far in a direction that everyday Californians don't appreciate and don't approve of. And it's because special interests have taken hold and gotten to the worst side of human nature, of like the desire for power and greed and those vices that we all try to avoid on a daily basis. That is what's emphasized in Sacramento, in our state capital. And that is what the special interests are truly preying on to control our legislators. What we need are more leaders in our state capital and quite honestly at every level of government who 
cannot be bought off by special interests who refuse to do the wrong thing just because it benefits them personally and are willing to make sacrifices, re-election or election um, completely aside, making the choices that they know in their heart of hearts is good for the people that they're representing. Right now, June, the Democrats have a super majority in the California legislature. If you're elected to represent us in the state assembly, how do you plan to get things done having to work against those odds? Right. So one of my goals is to not just be elected myself, but to get up to Sacramento and help the Republican Party build and grow its caucus in the state legislature and ultimately maybe two or three election cycles down the road, help them break the supermajority by being a part of the team. But in the meantime, I think that we can get things done in Sacramento one bite at a time. We did not get to where we are overnight. They played the long game to get us here, and we have to be willing to play the long game to get back to a place um, where society has righted its course here in California. In order to do that, we have to be able to work with um, moderate Democrats. And that includes a lot of people who are currently elected who don't like the way that their own party is going and represent um, moderate voters who don't like the way the state is going. Let's bring them to the table. Let's tell them why our ideas are better, because Californians, by and large, agree with the Republican Party on most ideas. You can see it, by the way, everyone voted on the propositions in 2020. Sixty five percent of the time they voted the way the Republicans would. So if we can just come to the table and have open minds, listen to our ideas, I think that we can affect changes in Sacramento, even as a super minority. What skills do you bring to the table that would help you to do that? I love the emphasis on meeting in the middle and compromise and all the rest of that. You know, we, in, in the couple minutes we have remaining, uh, I know you might say, you know, juggling everything that you do uh, and, and raising the two kids. But, you know, there are some interpersonal skills, are there not, that actually can facilitate some of what you're hoping to accomplish in Sacramento. I think nearly two decades of litigation experience has shown me um, the art of negotiation and compromise. Um, I believe when we go to a mediation or um, alternative dispute resolution as lawyers, we always say, it was a good day if both parties walk out unhappy because we were able to reach a compromise. And the same can be said for working up in Sacramento, too. Let's negotiate um, and let's see if we can get to a place where we bring the problems down so they're not as bad. And like I said, one step at a time. So my skills as an attorney, uh, my patience as a mother of two kids, and um, my general people skills, the ability to relate to people and to be empathetic and to have a listening ear and an open heart, I think those are the skills that will serve me best in Sacramento. So we are running a little bit short on time, June. How can people, our listeners, get a hold of you to help your campaign or if they want to find out more about you, what's the best way to do that? Everything is on my website. It's junecutter.com, and we will listen to every message and respond to every email. So um, send us a note, and we're happy to communicate with you. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for being on the show with us. You know, we, I just love the, the issues that we discuss sort of collectively. And no matter who is on the show, we end up sort of talking about the controversial issues, the provocative issues, and then I always try to be the silver lining and bring it back to – the areas of agreement, of which there are many, 
Um, and we'll sort of end it with this as we wish everybody a, a great week. You know, you talk about mediation, negotiation. Those are skills that aren't limited to the legal sphere. Those are things that we use in our personal lives as well. You know, we negotiate with our children, with our spouse, with our family members to, to achieve common good. And hopefully at the end of that day, it's not a win because everybody's unhappy. It's a win because everybody's happy. So I think that's a good way to end the show. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful, safe weekend to all our listeners. Please join us next week for more of Today with Dr. Wendy, Headlines with the Silver Lining. God bless you and have a great week. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.